I wish I would have shared that more because I think a lot of business owners feel like they're failing or they're doing something wrong if they have to have a full-time job to support them. But I like to think about it as, you know, this willingness to be your own benefactor. If you think about artists, and we can go back to Mozart, we can think about people like Picasso, we can think about people like Harper Lee, great um, writers. Um, at some point, many of these great artists, they had benefactors. These were patrons that supported the work that they did by writing checks, by giving people places to live, by providing space to work, etc. And I've been fortunate, as I just mentioned, I have benefactors over the course of my career, but my benefactors were my my full-time jobs. Again, on top of the work that I was doing in the evenings, in the early mornings. I like to think about dream jobs like this. A dream job is a job that you absolutely love, or it's a job that allows you to do what you love. And that's what my full-time jobs did for me. Welcome back to another episode of the Entrepreneur Adventure Podcast. Do you find it easy to make a commitment initially, but way more difficult to continue making that commitment day after day after day? Well, guess what? You tuned in to the right podcast episode today because our guest, Antonio Nebs, will be discussing his newly published book, Stop Living on Autopilot. And I guarantee it is going to bring some incredible value to your life. And with that, I'll turn it over to our host, Josh Melton and Chad Brown. I'm so excited for today's podcast and everything you are going to learn with us. Today, we have speaker, author, success coach, entrepreneur, Antonio Neves. Antonio, welcome to the Entrepreneur Adventure, man. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. And I just love that you got that keyword that's all important adventure because it is indeed an adventure and how we frame this journey is so important. That's right. It is, as we all know, it's an adventure. Even when we think we got it all figured out, it's still a lot of ups and downs and peaks and valleys. That's what we love about the logo of Entrepreneur Adventure Mountain. Uh, you, you, you think you reach one peak and there's still valleys ahead and higher summits uh, ahead of you in the entrepreneurial journey. And man, we're so excited to have you. Congratulations on the book launch. Uh, just had an amazing book, book launch, such an awesome book. I know you got to be uh, on cloud nine right now, right, man? I'm feeling good. I feel excited to launch this book, Stop Living on Autopilot. You know, the early iterations of it started way back in 2015, and it finally came out here in 2021. I think what a lot of people don't know is that when you write a book with a big publishing house, typically you submit it like a year before it's published. So it's been done for quite some time. So now for it finally to be available for the public is awesome. But I have to share also, it was amazing the past few weeks leading up to the release, I felt myself getting tight. I felt myself getting stressed. I all of a sudden had this heartburn showing up and I was talking to a dear friend of mine. I think a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs will appreciate this. I was talking to a dear friend of mine. He said, hey man, when you were daydreaming, about having a big book deal. Did you also daydream about having heartburn and being stressed out? And I was like, I was like, no, I didn't. So that was such a great, a great reframe to remind myself about this journey, about this adventure while I'm on it. And hey, if you don't have fun, I don't think it counts, right? That's right. That's exactly right. So tell us, man, in regards to the book, Antonio, because again, you're, you're mentioning like it's been in the works for a while. You said 2015 is when you started writing this, right? 2015, uh, funny enough, it started, um, I was at Jacksonville Airport, which was finishing a speaking engagement. 
actually somewhere in Georgia. I forgot the name of the islands that I was in that I was speaking in, in Georgia. And a good friend of mine I bumped into at the airport in Jacksonville. His name is John Gordon, amazing author, wrote the book, The Energy Bus, The Carpenter, The Garden, you name it. His guy sold over millions of books. We sat next to each other on this plane uh, ride to Atlanta from a Jacksonville. And he's asking me what I was up to, what I was looking to do. And I was like, hey, my next adventure for me is I want to write a book. And it was amazing. This guy who had sold millions of copies of his book, uh, books said, hey, well, let's start outlining your book right now. And on that plane ride from Jacksonville, which is a short one to Atlanta, we outlined uh, a version of a book. And I ended up writing a whole 55,000 word book that you'll probably never see, but that <laughs> led to eventually writing the book that came out today. But what I have to remind people sometimes, you know, I've been getting a lot of high fives about this book coming out and I feel good about it. I'm proud of it. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I have to remind people that prior to this book coming out with Penguin Random House with Rodale Books, that I self-published three books before that. I mean, that's my first book that I self-published came out 10 years ago. Oh, wow. And I've had two other ones since then. So I don't think it would have been possible for this book to come out with a major publishing house if I didn't self-publish, if I didn't invest in myself early on. So I want to remind people of that, that sometimes, you know, people are giving you high five for what's happening today, but they don't realize things were happening 10 years ago that led to this moment. Man, that's awesome. I was just reading a book the other day called The 12-Week Year. And one of the things it said was, greatness in the moment it's like everybody sees greatness on the book launch day right it's like oh my god look at antonio like this is greatness but like you're saying man that greatness was started back when you're writing that first book that you were going to self-publish absolutely i think sorry i think what we have to remember is that you know especially in entrepreneur journeys we have to be willing to do the work when no one is watching you know it's, it's really easy when people are rooting you on when there's fans in the crowd and everybody's giving you a high five but it can be lonely and we have to be willing to invest in ourselves uh when no one is watching uh, we talk a lot in this world about commitment. And as you all know, commitment is so important when you're a business owner. But one thing we don't talk enough about is recommitting because after making a commitment is easy. But every single day that you wake up, you have to recommit to what you committed to, whether that's the business that you founded, whether that's your marriage, whether that's being an exceptional parent, whether that's being a, a great member of your community, et cetera. So once you commit, it's not over. You have to recommit every single day. Well, I want to I want to back up for a second and learn a little more about these self-published books. Uh, the first couple of books were these a major success? Did any sell? What was your experience there uh, with your first couple of books and uh, writing? I'm glad you you asked that question because if you go to Amazon right now and if you look at the three books that I self-published, mm-hmm. uh, Student Athlete 101. I was a student athlete in college, and so I have a book uh, called Student Athlete 101 that student athletes and colleges buy for student-athletes every single year. I have a book called 50 Things Every College Student Should Know and a book called 50 Ways to Excel in Your First Job. Uh, If you look on Amazon right now, you would probably think only 18 people total uh, have read these books based on the reviews (laughs) and the rankings and the numbers. But as a business owner, as I started off early on speaking and I was traveling across the country doing these engagements, a consistent refrain that I heard from clients and audiences this, like, Antonio, this, this talk was great. This is really inspiring and motivational, but odds are I'm going to forget about this six months from now, a year from now. I really wish you had something, a book or something that you could offer us. So that was the quick ding, ding, ding moment for me was that what all of a sudden I transitioned to just going across the country, giving speeches and part of my contracts. I'd always have that moment when I was talking to my client and I would say, after I self-published a book, so I'd say, okay, and how many 
books would you like to purchase? <laughs> 100 books, 200 books, 300 books. I mean, they, they weren't ready for that question, but they didn't even know they had, a, they had a choice. So how many books would you like to purchase? And so there are thousands upon thousands of these books that have been purchased that you wouldn't know because they weren't purchased on Amazon. They were purchased directly through me as part of my speaking contracts, you know, and that the wholesale price that, that I get is like minuscule compared to, to what I charge for those bad boys. So on Amazon, you would not consider them a success uh, based on paying for mortgages and different things over the years. They've been a, a really huge success. I've had something that, um, you know, something to show, something to leave them with. That, that's awesome. It's funny you talk about uh, kind of pricing and how that works there. I've heard a lot of really successful authors talk about Man, the, the the percentage that gets down to the to to the author is pretty small. Yo, yeah. So yeah, the margins for self-publishing, the margins are amazing. Like I mean, say for yeah. example, you have a book and I and I, I get it, say a dollar ninety or two bucks a, a copy, but when you sell that bad boy for $14.99 or $19.99 or something like that, I mean that's exceptional. Uh, when you come out with a book from a the major publishing house, it takes some time to actually make some money. Most authors don't make any money directly from the book. They got to recoup the advance that they get and all that kind of stuff. But self-publishing has been a gift of mine. I mean, well, I guess a gem to me. And for those business owners that are considering it, I invite them to do it. That The barrier to entry is pretty much non-existing, existent. Though I will implore people, and I'm a, I'm a journalist by trade, I'm a writer, I would implore people to make sure you do work with pros, though, prior to getting that book out to work with a professional copywriter. If writing isn't your forte, maybe you do hire a ghostwriter, uh, but make sure you put some great work into that. That's that's great advice there. And and, and one of the things uh, we want to talk about today is, is taking action and boldness, but also in the frame of how an entrepreneur needs to have a balance between financially supporting themselves and what they're trying to grow and also their business and their dream uh, on that side of things. And for you, you didn't just start out that way. You were in corporate America. You were crushing it. And and what made the transition for you? What made you decide to, to leave a world where you were ex exceeding high levels of success and, and doing well by all aspects and decide to, to change things up and do something different? And how did you afford to do that? Yeah, I think there's a couple of ways to look at that. First, uh, I worked in the television industry for over 12 years in New York City with major television networks like NBC, PBS, BET Networks. I began with Children's Television Network, Nickelodeon. Uh, I was on camera as a reporter, correspondent, host, producer, you name it. So I had a lot of success in that field. I still can remember arriving in New York City with just $1,000 in my bank account, less than a thousand bucks with these dreams of of working in the television industry, not knowing anyone. This is before YouTube and LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. Do you, do you two remember sending faxes at all? Oh, remember faxes? <laughs> absolutely. I, I still got a couple of clients that we communicate by fax. It's still going on a while. Hey, no joke, man. I got a fax yesterday. I was like, <laughs> what the heck is this, man? What's going on? I got a fax. Who faxes anymore? What is this fax thing? Um, <laughs> So the way to answer that question is interesting. My first job out of college, I attended a Western Michigan University. My, my first job out of college, I got a job in South Florida in the Fort, greater Fort Lauderdale area. I was a sales representative for a major food company. That must have been and a dream, was, by the way, going from Michigan to South Florida. I mean, it's like, oh, <laughs> uh, South Florida was amazing. I, I will say I felt like I was on vacation all the time and I didn't want to work. That was the challenge. <laughs> Uh, but I was a sales representative and I was responsible for 25 Winn-Dixie grocery stores, um, which was amazing. But I think one of the things that led me, I think, to being a business owner and entrepreneur, I mean, even 
in television where I wasn't always at a desk was I didn't have an office to go to. Like my office was my home, was my car and the grocery stores that I went to. So even as I got into corporate America in New York City and people expecting you to be at a desk all day, I was like, this doesn't feel right. This is, I don't know. I'm not, I can't just sit down all day. Just judge me based on me getting the work done. Not if I'm here or not. So my last three years in New York City, I was a correspondent uh, on a business show with NBC. And we interviewed these amazing CEOs, entrepreneurs, founders, et cetera. And one thing that I was really blown away by them was one, their commitment to leadership and development, but also a lot of them, what they had in common is they all worked with the coach directly on what they were doing. And I found towards the end of my television career that I was more fired up working with and developing specifically younger professionals than I was um, on camera anymore, than I was interviewing people. So I decided to make this bold leap after 12 years in the television industry to pursue leadership and development work as a coach. I knew I wanted to eventually speak as well, and I wanted to write books like I, I do today. Um, that was probably the scariest thing I ever did in my life because, again, on paper, I was successful. The income was good. I was living in New York City, um, and I decided just to change everything, and I moved to Los Angeles to pursue this. Uh, but that's when I learned one of those key lessons, that one of those hard lessons for people to hear, and that is, first, sometimes just because you're good at something doesn't mean that you're supposed to be doing it. Right. Because we all can excel at a variety of things. But just because you're good at something doesn't mean that you're supposed to be doing. I was a good sales representative. I was a great host, a great journalist. And I'm still those things. And there was something else that I wanted to do. I knew that life offered up an adventure. I want to try something new. I knew that I could always go back to television. But I knew once I had different responsibilities, I didn't know if I'd be able to try some other things. So I decided, if you will, to, to bet on myself, knowing I could always go back if I wanted to. But here we are about 10 years in and, and I haven't gone back yet, even though I still get to have fun on camera and use all those television skills uh, to my advantage. No regrets. How did you walk yourself, Antonio, through? I, I find a lot of people, especially if they have the entrepreneurial gene, you know, if they have that excitement in them, we can oftentimes find things that we like we would be good at, that we're at least we have the potential to be good at. And it may be something we're actually like pretty interested in. But there's a difference, like you said, between, hey, you could be like this and you could be good at it but there's the thing that you're like kind of supposed to do that you can yeah. commit to. How did you get yourself? Because again, you're, you're succeeding. Like you're winning. You're climbing up the rungs of a like pretty successful ladder to get yourself to be like, you know what? I think I'm supposed to be over here to the point where I'm willing to not just be interested in it, but to commit to move across the country from one major city to the next and go all in on it. How did you get yourself to the knowledge of like, I'm going to commit to this. This is worthy of me making some big changes. Yeah, I think it's a it's a couple of things. One, I've always just ha have had the spirit of adventure. I got from a small town in Michigan, one of those towns that people typically don't leave. I was a first generation college student. Uh, so everything's kind of novel to me. It's been an adventure. But in terms of people trying to figure out like what they're good at and what they excel at, uh, there's a book that I highly recommend. It's by the author Gay Hendricks. And the name of the book is The Big Leap. And he talks about these four areas that we can exist in life. And let me just break them down for you real quick. First, we can exist in what's called the zone of incompetence. That's pretty much self-explanatory. <laughs> we shouldn't be doing anything. By the way, this is going to really hit business owners. The zone of incompetence, that's stuff that we have no business doing. Right now, from your business perspective, there are things that you know you're just not good at. Like, I'm not going to file my own taxes. Like, I have an accountant for that. I'm incompetent at that, you know? Uh, then there's something called the zone of competence. That's something that we're good at. We're good at, but it's probably other people are better at it or it's not the best use of our time. I can book my travel. I can book hotels. But with my responsibilities, it's not always the best use of my time. There are other things that I can do. And then there's something called this is the tricky one. This is called the zone of excellence. 
This is something that we actually, actually excel at, something that we're actually good at, but we don't enjoy it. I was a good sales representative. Like I, I could probably be like the vice president, senior vice president of North American cheese right now for Kraft Foods <laughs> if I would have stayed with that profession. So the zone of excellence is a tricky one where a lot of people exist, but they don't necessarily enjoy it. But the magic place that Gay Hendricks talks about in this book, The Big Leap, is something called the zone of genius. That is that place where we have this unique skill set, where we have a a gift like no other. It's that place where time just kind of disappears. For some people, that's sales. For some people, that's writing. For some people, that's logistic or operations, you name it. It's just that that place where we just excel at. And so I invite people to think about where are they existing right now in in those four quadrants of incompetence, uh, competence, excellence, and genius, and see if at all possible, you can spend as much time as possible existing in your zone of genius. Uh, It's almost impossible to spend all of your time in your zone of genius. Like me speaking on stages, put me in front of 5,000 people, 3,000 people, I'm good to go. It's my zone of genius. That does not happen every single day. But if you can spend at least, oh man, if you can get 40% of your time in your zone of genius or 50%, that would be amazing. And I bet both of you right now can probably think about Areas that are zone of incompetence is for you, or zone of competence is for you, that you probably wish you probably spent less time in. We all can as business owners, but early on, let's be real. Sometimes you got to do uh, a little bit of everything, if not everything. And that's that's one of the things I, I want to ask you about. As somebody is a new entrepreneur or they're an employee looking to go out and pursue their entrepreneur dream, when do you know? you can afford to start focusing on those areas uh, that's where you're excellent or, or where you're a genius and start hiring or figuring out another solution for those areas of incompetence? It's a really great question. Well, for me, I, I felt like at some point in my entrepreneurial journey, when I was doing things on my own, that my creativity was, was being stifled. Mm-hmm. It was being stifled because I was spending so much time doing logistics, doing so much time doing operations. And I want to say just a few years ago that I outsourced a good portion of those things. Um, I felt like the quality of the main work that I was delivering as a, as a speaker, as a facilitator, as a writer was being compromised by me doing these other things. And let's be clear, it, it was scary for me to invest in having contractors, freelancers that I worked with to do these things because I was like, oh no, you know, the money's here. It's just going to go away. But I found that funny enough, investing money in these folks to do what they're great at, what they actually want to do, actually gave me so much more creative space to create that I had better ideas, things were happening. I could actually over deliver for clients. And my income actually went up after I made those investments, even though at the time, it was the scariest thing that I could do. I'm not going to say that the income went up immediately, <laughs> but over time it did. It's the scariest thing, I think, for business owners, especially if you consider yourself a small business owner like, like I do, uh, to make those investments, whether it's in a software service, whether it's in certain people or resources. But I found that it's actually opened up so much space for me. Uh, so I won't be wasting time on those things that aren't essential. Now, are you able to afford to do this because you'd saved up enough money from your other careers to, to be able to invest over a period of time? Or are you still working during this time and, and using uh, money from other areas of, uh, of employment and, and sources of income? Yeah, well, today I'm, I'm fortunate enough that my income from the work that I do you know, handles everything. Uh, but I think something that's really important for a lot of business owners to hear is that 
and I wish I was, and I talk about this in the book, I wish I was more open early on in my entrepreneur journey of sharing that at times I've held full-time jobs. Like when I broke off to become a speaker, a coach, and an author, uh, let's be real, there were times where I could not handle all of my responsibilities solely on that income. So there are times I held full-time jobs. At one point, I worked for this big international personal branding platform called About.me. And I pretty much commuted to uh, San Francisco every week for that job on top of my work when I was traveling to do speaking and coaching, et cetera. There was time here in Los Angeles where I worked as the narrative director for a big e-commerce agency that worked with health and wellness brands. Um, again, to support my family and my dream. So I think I wish I would have shared that more because I think a lot of business owners feel like they're failing or they're doing something wrong if they have to have a full-time job to support them. But I like to think about it as, you know, this willingness to be your own benefactor. If you think about artists and we can go back to Mozart, we can think about people like Picasso. We can think about people like Harper Lee, great um, writers. Um, at some point, many of these great artists, they had benefactors. These were patrons that supported the work that they did by writing checks, by giving people places to live, by providing space to work, et cetera. And I've been fortunate, as I just mentioned, I have benefactors over the course of my career, but my benefactors were my, my full-time jobs. Again, on top of the work that I was doing in the evenings, in the early mornings. I like to think about dream jobs like this. A dream job is a job that you absolutely love, or it's a job that allows you to do what you love. And that's what my full-time jobs did for me. It's not sexy. It's not glamorous. But if you're really committed to something, you know, you, you find a way to make that happen. And so for that man or woman that's listening, I invite you to maybe before you, you go all in, which people are going to tell you you have to do. You, you don't have to. I get the thought process behind going all in. Don't get me wrong. Uh, for me, it's a little bit different when I have uh, you know, a wife and a couple of kids and the homes and different things that I'm responsible for. But for that person who thinks they have to go all in, I want to let you know that, that you don't. At some point, you will. At some point, you will. And I, and I had to come that, that that point in my career when I was able to say, you know what? I no longer have to have a, a, a nine to five. But please, I invite you not to be ashamed to have that nine to five while you get your business off the ground. Yeah, I love that advice. Going back, like you did maybe hide the fact that you had a full-time gig because you felt some sort of shame as in like, hey, if I if I showcase this, like I got a job and I'm doing this, it's going to make me look less, less successful. People aren't going to want to hire me. Is that kind of what you were feeling? Like walk us through that and then how somebody, if they're in their your shoes however many years ago, can overcome that. Like should they be sharing that they got a full-time job working at Winn-Dixie and just make that part of the journey and part of the brand or like, how do they yeah. open deal with that? It's a really good story. Yeah. I, I was a bit ashamed. I think because I got too lost in the sauce of, of social media, thinking that I have to present myself a certain way. I want to remind everyone. I talk about this in the book that, that Google only tells a story. It doesn't tell the whole story, right? Instagram doesn't tell the whole story. It only tells part of the story um, for that person who is considering right now, you know, has that nine to five was building their, their, their job. I think it's a personal choice. You're not obligated to say that I have a nine to five while I'm building this side business whatsoever, uh, but you can ask yourself, is it possible that it could add any value? If you do decide to share that, could it, could it make you more human? Could it actually create more connection as opposed to disconnection? I think we, if the, I find that the more we reveal sometimes it can create intimacy. That's in our personal relationships. Sometimes that's in business. 
it's not always the case. So what I'm not going to just blatantly say is, yes, you should tell everyone that you have a nine to five while you're building this business. That, that's a personal decision. It's kind of like for me, like that this is a little bit connected. Uh, you know, Josh, a decision that I made, my wife and I made, is that we don't show pictures of our kids on the internet. Uh, I have no problem with anyone else who does that. We just decided not to do that because that, that that's personal to us. I'm, I'm of the age where I don't know about y'all, but I remember going over to people's homes when I was a kid. And there was like this special moment when you went to someone's house they went to the back room and they brought out some big photo <laughs> album and they opened it up and it was all yellow and stained and it was, the papers just sticky. But you saw these these photos of their of their of their ancestry, of their background. And for me, that was very intimate. So, for example, my children, that's very intimate to us. My family, my friends, they see these photos. but I don't share them with the twenty one thousand people that follow me on Instagram that that I don't know. So similar to the work that you're doing, you're going to have to make a personal decision whether or not you choose to share that or not. Uh, yes, uh, I, I was I was lost playing the, the social media game. I, I was a little bit delusional and thinking that I had to portray myself a certain way. If I could go back, I think I could have maybe even accelerated some things on my end if I would have leaned in and said, hey, my name's Antonio Neves. I'm a speaker. I'm a coach and I'm an author. I also have a full-time job that I'm working right now to make this dream come true. Uh, I'm committed to it that much that I'm willing to work and do this. And, and so I, I do wonder what that would have created with the audience. I, I'm not sure if it would have brought me closer to them. I, I think so. Uh, but today I, I would go about things a lot differently. Yeah, that's really cool. And I think it connects you to both sides of that audience. Number one, the side that's thinking about pursuing something, but don't have the financial ability to quit their job, or they do have other financial responsibilities. Uh, they have to keep income at a certain level and just put in extra hours growing something else. And also the other side of it, the successful entrepreneur, the business owners, man, there, there's no greater level of respect than the grit and the hustle and the work that goes in. We all know it as entrepreneurs, everything we've ever done takes tremendous amounts of work and support from somewhere else. And, and being your own benefactor, oh, what a great line there. That's that's uh, that's really impactful. And we're, we're, we're talking about, Chad, we're talking about endorsing ourselves. Yeah. I find it amazing that how we're willing to endorse political candidates, we're willing to endorse these universities, we'll wear the jersey of a university or a team that we love, but how willing we are fully to endorse and invest in ourselves. Uh, I think something I think something changed in me probably when when I had kids, you know, because you know that you know that 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 last name is a little bit different. When you, when you want you want your kids, you want to be an example for them. But I just I've been blown away by how much over the years I've been willing to endorse other things. But like I put myself last, like, and, and that's not cool. So I invite all of us to be willing to endorse on ourselves and invest in ourselves. That also means something that can be scary. And essentially what we're doing is we're, we're betting on ourselves. I think that's what a lot of business owners are doing, entrepreneurs. We're betting on ourselves. And I like to think about it. If you've ever been to a casino before, and there's this area called the sports book where you can bet on sporting events, horse races, basketball, football games, you know it. And you can look up there and you can see the odds of who's going to win that match or that game. But I like to ask people sometimes, like, if your name was up there, would the odds be in your favor or against you uh, of winning at this game called life, at, at, at your business winning as well? And uh, the question I always ask folks is, if you want to know if the odds are in your favor or against you, all you kind of got to do is look at what you did the past 30 days. I feel like our last 30 days are the most amazing metric of where we are or are not heading 
in our lives. So we have to be willing to bet in ourselves. And I found that when we're willing to bet on ourselves, that's how you get others to bet on you as well. Uh, something else I just briefly got to share on this note, you know, we talked earlier about when I decided to leave that television career behind to do this. One thing uh, I didn't share was that all my friends, they thought I was crazy. <laughs> Family members thought I was crazy. They were like, what are you doing? You have this good career in the television industry. Why would you, you do this? And I just have to remind people that sometimes just because you're going your own way doesn't mean it's the wrong way. Right. And this is a big one right here. Like your family and friends will not always understand the decisions that you make. I think a lot of us, there are things that we want to do, things we want to lean into, businesses that we want to start, side hustles we want to move into. But because our family and friends don't fully understand, we decide to press pause. Your family and friends will not understand. Let me just say this last thing. I'm getting fired up right now. Um, and I'm not sure. I'm curious, Josh and Chad, if you two have experienced this in your life. This is the one that really hit me when I started my business is that sometimes the people who support you the most know you the least. Hmm. The people that I thought were going to make introductions early on, the people I thought were going to be early clients, no, it wasn't them. It was that 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 person that I barely knew that 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 made a referral. That man or woman I had a conversation with on a plane that became a client. Like sometimes the people who know you the least support you the most. And that just, that just blows me away in our families, in our friends, in our local communities. You talk about taking a bet, man, or making a risk. Like if you do, like say, if your name's up there and you're the jockey or you're the horse, we're betting on you, right? Like the only way you can make a bet is to take a risk. Like, right? Like there's no, there's no bet without risk. And so when you're making, especially in your grant, like, man, I, I saw the pictures on your website, bro. Like you're speaking in front of all these big crowds and you're, you have an opportunity to interview people that ran for president. And I know in your professional career before you, before you left to chase your own dreams that you had some status. And I know it was probably hard for a lot of your peers, a lot of your family members to see you. I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? Like you're on TV and you're this and you're that. Like people are so jealous of where you're at and you're going to give all that up. And that's the risk that you're taking though, right? Like, cause you want to win a different race. Yeah, Josh, it's so funny you say that. I remember people, they're like, you're going to be a coach. They said coach, like I was like about to, like I told them I was going to be a thief. Like you're going to be a coach? <laughs> what, what? You're going to do leadership and development work? What, what, you're, you're going to be a snake oil? What, like what's wrong with you? Yeah, that, that status you talk about is all too real. I had the status, man. Um, but here's what's interesting too. And then you just, now, now I know y'all are, are based in Georgia. This makes me think about years ago, I gave a, a speech maybe a Georgia state. I forgot somewhere. I think Georgia state. I remember after my talk, a kid came up to me, a college student. Oh, and he said something so powerful. He said, Hey, Antonio, I see you got that, that blue check mark verified thing on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. How, how do I get verified on social media? And I was about to give him the answer. Like, well, I've been, in the past, I've been a public personality and then a journalist and all that kind of rigmarole kind of answer. Um, but then, um, I said, well, hey, man, why do you want to be verified? And he's like, oh, uh, just to show that it's me. And I was like, well, hey, man, is there is there another you that I should be aware of? He's like, no. I said, well, why do you really want to be verified? And he said, to show that I'm important. And I had to hit him in that moment and say, you know, no blue check mark can verify you. You were verified the day that you were born, right? So that's that willingness, like to you know, we were verified the day that we were born, and that willingness to to invest in us and to bet on us, like you just said earlier. You talk about that. I think that is the most misunderstood piece 
for young entrepreneurs and Instagram in particular is there's only one you. You are special. You are unique. That's what people want to see. There's a thousand different beach pictures. There's a thousand different peak pictures of dudes standing beside a Lamborghini. It's like there's only one you. And the interesting thing, if you look and follow engagement, the post of people doing things in their personal life, the post of people having fun on the golf course performs way better than the quotes or, or the motivations or, or the other things. Uh, people want to engage with people. People want to see you uh, on Instagram, uh, out there uh, hustling and growing businesses. And, and uh, such good advice for the young entrepreneur is, is you've got to love who you are and be able to willing to share that. And I think that's, that's a message that, like you said, probably would have escalated uh, your career faster uh, had that been tapped into. And the same for me too. Uh, I know for me, I felt for so long, Hey, you got to fake it till you make it. Like I got to at least look and dress like I know what I'm doing and don't let people know I was, I was out uh, cleaning this bank till two o'clock last night. Cause I can't afford uh, employees in my company yet. Like it's, we hide so much in our entrepreneurial adventure and, and you don't have to, those are the, places of interest. Those are the places of respect and uh, uh, on all levels, especially Instagram and social media. And, and those are areas that uh, people want to see you. And I think that's really cool. It's crazy. You're saying that Chad, as I can think about as you're talking and Antonio, as you're talking about the blue check mark, because I mean, man, let's be honest. Like if you get on Instagram, like when you're trying to like become an influencer or build a following, like you do look at that blue check mark with a little bit of envy. Like I kind of want me one of them blue yeah. check marks. But I read in a book called soul keeping. It said that one of the one of the chapters was titled "Fake Sunglasses Are Bad for Your Soul," and it like had this Ooh. study on there that talked about people who'd buy the fake Rolex or people who'd buy the fake Ray Bans. Like the other people may know, or may think that they're Ray Bans, but you know that they're not. You know, if you had to buy followers, if you had to like try to gimmick your way to getting verified, like it's actually bad for you. And I think that goes into what you're saying too, Antonio. Between if somebody wants to let people know if they're working a job while they're building their dream, like it's not as I think when it comes down to you is like, if I, if I'm ashamed and I have to hide that I have a job, while I'm chasing my dream. Then that's that, that's the fake sunglasses, man. That's the, the desire for status without earning it. But if it's something like what you talked about with your children, it's like, no, this is just a decision I made based on my values. It's not damaging to you, man. It doesn't really matter if you share, if you got a job or not, it just matters if you feel like you need to hide it. If you feel like yeah. you need to hide it because you're embarrassed, like you gotta check yourself, right? We have to chat. Listen, I have to check myself. And I'm a guy that worked in the TV industry. So I know very much about the veneer, about the shiny stuff. Like I proudly tell people that I drive a 2016 Honda Odyssey minivan, you know, I'm, I'm okay. And it's paid off and I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not getting another car note. I feel really good about this paid off vehicle. You know, I find that the posts that I share that have my family in them perform far better than the post of me speaking in front of a lot of people or anything like that, because it shows that, that I'm human. I think what you really, you know, I, the, the best thing I love is that, you know, in magazines as a journalist, I know this, we always see the end result. We always see that the end story, right? In books and newspaper articles and magazine articles, but the magic happens early on, like when no one is watching. I mean, the, the, the story is what makes people fascinating isn't the end result. It's what got them there. And I just wish that society and the things that we read, more people read biographies and autobiographies of people because it's not always pretty. I like the word, the entrepreneur journey for this podcast, because a dear friend of mine, 
uh, his grandfather told him something years ago that, you know, I've taken on for my own advice. Then they, their grandfather told him, he said, hey, live an interesting life. No one wants to talk to an old person who doesn't have interesting stories to tell. Right. And an interesting life has ebbs and flows. Yeah. It has peaks. You know, we're going to fall down. And I just have to remind people all the time that, you know, we, that we don't climb a mountain by accident. Right. We don't get to the top on accident. And if even if we got to the top on accident, guess what? You typically won't stay there too long. It's like that those fake Ray-Bans. You're not going to stay there for too long. It's no wonder that after someone wins a reality television show competition, whether it's American Idol or The Voice or one of those shows that I don't watch, that after two years, though, that man or woman is nowhere to be found. It's not because they're not talented, not because they're not gifted, it's that they haven't done the work mm. to stay there. Yeah, absolutely. You, you talk about in your book, taking control of your life to live a life on how you want it, not how other people want it, not how you want other people to see the fake Ray-Bans. How do you want it? And to do that, you got to start living on purpose and you got to be bold. And that's that adventure. That means you're going to fail. That means you're going to fall down that mountain and have to get up and climb another mountain. And when I look back on my entrepreneurial journey and, and Josh and I, we own a business together that, that we've grown over the past 10 years. And probably the most memorable times, the, the most treasured experiences is when, man, we were screwed. We, something had went wrong and we didn't know what to do and we had to figure stuff out. And, and as we keep achieving new goals and new accomplishments, we don't celebrate that as much as the journey and those challenging times. And just there's so much value and fun in that growth and those challenges. And I think if you, if you skip those steps, if somebody gives you 200 grand and says, hey, go start a business and, and skip all the trial and error and the hard stuff, hey, you don't learn near as much. And, and it's just not as rewarding or as fun. That's, uh, I agree 100%. All the, the magic happens, I think, in the stalls. Have you ever driven a stick shift before? <laughs> I think the magic happens in the stalls when you have to find out what you're made of. Not when you're going, you know, you're, you're nice in fifth gear and everything's good to go. When you stall and you got to figure it out in real time. Uh, and I also have learned that, you know, when we fall down, we can learn so much about ourselves, of those scars that we have, whether, you know, real ones or, or, or the more, um, you know, as essential type of ones, they tell us who we are. I mean, that, that, that's where the actual magic happens. I don't think any great story began with, uh, we had everything figured out or no, no great story begins with, oh, we played it safe and no, like you were in it. And we go back and we laugh about those moments. And, uh, there's like a, a skin, like snakes, like there's like a skin that sheds in us when we put ourselves through those scenarios when you're like, I don't know how I'm going to figure this out. Yeah. But you do. And you come out of it one way or another. And uh, if there's a confidence that I have these days, having you know, run my own business now for 10 years is uh, I know in some shape or form, I'm going to A, I'm going to be okay. Uh, but B, I, I'll figure it out. But even more so, something I talk about in the book is how critical it is to have amazing people around you. To support you, you know, your your own quote unquote personal board of advisors um, who've been there, done that to get their support and guidance. Have you seen a big change in who those people are? Uh, I know you talked earlier about having the support and, and, and how that's different than we expect when we start our journey. Uh, I know for us, our circle of uh, friends and influences is, is completely different than it was 10 years ago uh, because we're surrounding ourselves with, with people that are trying to get to next level of success that are okay failing and growing. Have you experienced the same thing? Yeah, it, you're saying that, man. And my wife said to me two days ago, she said, 
a couple years ago, she goes, you kept talking about that you needed like that you were your most like the most dominant person around in your sphere. And like it just it just ended up where for the most part, like my close friends, like I was the one who was a little further ahead or who was like stronger, if that makes sense, like more just on a more concrete path. And I would tell her all the time, I'm like, I, I got to find some people that where I'm not like the the smartest guy in the room. And I'm not saying I was the smartest guy in the room. You know what I'm saying? Though? I was like, I got to yeah. find some people that like stretch me that are helping me go along. And she said this to me two days ago. She's like, I'm kind of jealous of you because you have those people now. Like you're around these people, Chad, you're me and one of them that are like pulling out something more in me. Like they're making me risk. They're making me bet on me, which means that I'm subjecting myself to potential failure. You know, I'm not just like protectionism trying to keep what I got. It's like, no, I'm taking the next step. So I've definitely seen the friendships level up. But, dude, that's a great question, man. Antonio, you went from having these people that were like, no, dude, you don't need to quit this job and quit this status. How has it changed? Who's your circle now? Is it? Oh, it's changed. It's changed drastically. I think one thing you have to remember, though, is that, you know, with friends, right, friends and family sometimes, this is a hard one right here, especially when you decide to go a different direction than everyone else. Uh, This was hard for me to accept. And that is it can threaten people when you grow. Mm. It can scare people when you grow. Yes. And it's not because they're a bad person, but nine times out of 10, the reason why it threatens people when you grow, when all of a sudden you you, you were this nine to five kind of person, but you decide to stretch yourself and start through some own business or whatever, or you used to meet them for drinks in the evenings, but you can't make it now because you got to go work on your business in the evening. It threatens people when you grow because it holds up a mirror and many times to what they are not doing in their own life. Your success makes them feel insecure for many ways. So then they end up giving you a hard time, right? You ever have those friends after you start on this journey, they give you a hard time. Oh, why do you work so hard? Oh, you think you're special now? Again, it's not about you. Nine times out of 10, it's about them and what they're not doing in their own lives. And they're only working with what they have. So to answer your question, yeah, um, I'm fortunate, man, to have an amazing circle of people in my life that I call like my personal board of advisors. A great example of this that I talk about in the book is every Thursday at 7 a.m. I get with an amazing group of guys for something called a man morning. And we go on a hike every morning at 7 a.m., right? It's about seven of us. And these are men from all different walks of life. Some are business owners, some are husbands, some are fathers, uh, you name it. It just runs the gamut. Uh, we talk on these this hour, hour and a half walk from anything about business to finances to relationships, et cetera. And oh, my holy moly, uh, I've learned a couple of things. One, breakthroughs can happen when you're supporting someone else, mm. right? We think that it has to be about us, but breakthroughs can happen when you're helping others. I'm reminded in this group of men morning, extremely accomplished men. I mean, if we had to look at bank accounts, I'm probably the least uh, a quote unquote accomplished out of all of them, but we don't judge each other like that. Uh, that again, I'm not the first one to go through what I'm experiencing in my marriage, in my business, with trying to figure out PPP, all these different kinds of things, right? Um, and what I've learned over the years is that no one who has accomplished anything of significance did it alone. And neither should we, right? But for the longest time, especially early on in this business journey, I try to do everything on my own. And, I, and I, I've learned that nine times out of 10, people are willing to help us and we must be willing to ask yeah. for yes. that help. Right? There it is. That's a big ask. ask. Absolutely. I'll tell you, that is the reason we started this podcast. Josh and I talked about our journey and how we felt so alone and on an island. Our family, our friends didn't understand. We were too scared to connect with other business owners or people more successful than we are. We were afraid to ask. 
if you want a group, if you want a man morning, just start one. Ask. I guarantee you there are people in your community, other business owners, people that you admire at huge high levels that will join you. You just got to 100%. Be, you just got to ask. Gotta ask. And let's be clear, these don't have to be best friends. No. It, it can be members of your church. It can be church groups. It can be those, those folks that get together every week at a cafe to talk about something. Uh, I, I will tell you the game changer for us is that having it at 7 a.m. was very different than having it at 7 p.m. Because our conversations at 7 a.m. over coffee and tea is a lot different than our conversations <laughs> at 7 p.m. over beer. Yep. Not that we have bad conversations over beer, but it's just a little bit more intentional. It's a little bit different. Yeah. Something else that's critical about this man morning group and everyone can't make it every single week because I'm on the road or whatever. But the key thing about this is that it's opt out. It's not opt in. We don't text say, Hey, are you going to be there tomorrow? Ooh. It's on the calendar. Yes. You have to opt out. It doesn't go away. Josh, I got to add something you mentioned earlier that it sounds like you have an amazing wife. Well, you, what we do is we, we, we have a choice every single day to spend our time with thieves or allies. Mm. And I talk about this in the book. We, our thieves are people that, that don't encourage you, that don't inspire you, that don't challenge you, that don't push you, that don't hold you accountable to be the best version of yourself. But we also can spend time with allies. Allies are those men and women that do encourage you, that do inspire you, that do push you that holds you accountable to be the absolute best version of yourself, right? The key word right there, they hold you accountable. They push you forward. Quick story that I love to share is when I was in grad school at Columbia University, uh, I was working on my master's thesis. And I was, I used to hate turning in drafts with this master's thesis because I knew that it would covered, come covered in red ink <laughs> from my master's advisor, who was an amazing Pulitzer Prize winning author. And one day he just called, talked to me about this. He said, hey, man, what's going on? You're, you're late on some of these. What's your hesitation? And I said, well, I know when it comes back, it's going to be covered in red ink and there's going to be so much work to do. He, he smiled at me and he, and he just said something that like, you know, like an older person can say to a younger person. He says, hey, man, don't you know you pay for the red ink? Like the gift is in the red ink. So what you were talking about, Josh, and we have those amazing men and women in our lives, in our communities that push us, that hold us accountable. I like to call it good friction because it propels us forward. The challenge is we have to be willing, we have to be open to receive that and not get defensive, which a lot of people do. So you're talking about that good friction that's all important and entrepreneurs, business owners need that. And again, the folks you spend time with, whether it's the church group or that meetup online, it can be free. They don't have to be your best friends. You don't have to talk to them every single week, but you know that they're there to support you. Man, you all right. So I'd be cheating our podcast listeners if I didn't have you tell this story. And we're kind of, you know, as we've gone through this episode, we've talked about several things, but it keeps kind of coming back to this, like being authentic, ultimately, like being real and being around other people, like being, being willing to be vulnerable. Put your, you put yourself in that morning group like you have to be vulnerable enough to start talking about things that matter to you, right? Mm -hmm. I know for me, like the best conversations I've ever had in my life where I felt like they propelled me to like another level were when I was either sharing my failures with someone else or they were sharing their failures with me because I was trying to get to the summit. I was trying to get over, you know, out of a valley to the mountaintop. And it wasn't, you know, we all look at the successes people have and we're like kind of envious of them. Again, the blue, the blue check mark, the verified mark. But it's like, when someone who's made made it, when someone who's successful can say, let me tell you about my failures, it gives us hope. I can identify with your failures. I might not be able to identify with your victories yet, but your defeats, man, I can get some of those because I got my own, right? So 
you you share a story on your podcast, and I think it's in your book about a conversation you had with a homeless man. Yeah, I got you. Got to share this story, man. That's just I love the story. I love the had the setup for it, and I feel like it would benefit and it would it would impact anybody who's listening right now for you to share kind of that story and the overall gist of what it's about. Yeah, I'd reached this interesting point in 2016, about five years of running my business, uh, that on the surface, on Google, on the internet, everything was going great. All the, all the boxes were being checked. So on the internet, everything was going great. Uh, but internally, outside of the internet, I was struggling. And I'll tell you in a little bit why I was struggling. And when I was struggling, it led to some behaviors that weren't the most positive. It led to those couple of drinks in the evening that I needed to numb myself to take the edge off. Uh, to, to rewind, I was feeling stressed more than ever as a new husband, as a father of newborn twins. I was just feeling the pressure as a business owner. Like, what am I doing? I, I really decided to start a business and now I have this family that I'm responsible for. What's going on? I got to the point where I was so stressed, even though the internet said that I was successful, that I became a secret cigarette smoker. And I would don this this bright green gardening glove, and I would smoke cigarettes in alleys, like in alleys in Los Angeles. <laughs> uh, and I wore the bright green gardening glove so my wife didn't smell the smoke. She didn't know. I was keeping secrets from her. That, 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 that was a secret, the secret I was keeping from her. And I remember one day I was smoking the cigarette with this bright green gardening glove in an alley in Santa Monica. Uh, what I perceived to be a homeless man came up to me, and he asked me if he could borrow a couple of cigarettes. I'm like, sure. We started talking like smokers do. He asked me about this bright green gardening glove. And I'm like, oh, my wife doesn't wear it. No, I smoke. I wear it so she doesn't smell my smoke on my hands. Yo, guys, he looked at me as if I committed a crime. Like I had, he looked at me with contempt. And he said some words to me that I will never forget. He said, hey, man, you got to figure that out. You can figure out what went in that blank. You got to figure that out. Here I am, a quote unquote successful guy. Things are going great. And uh, what I perceive to be a homeless man telling me I have to figure my, th- my life out. And essentially, what to give you a short story, what had happened to this point in my life, and this is the, the short one, is that I, at some point, I had stopped being bold and courageous. That person that moved to New York City in 2000 with less than $1,000 in his bank account to break in the television, television industry no longer existed. That person that, that left the television industry behind five years earlier to pursue this business journey all of a sudden was on cruise control, was auto on autopilot, was no longer being bold and courageous, was afraid to make investments in himself, was, would, would not have bet in himself at that time. And it just makes me briefly think about this article that I, I talk about in the book. These two business owners were being interviewed about starting a business in the 1990s in New York City. Uh, and if you know anything about New York in the 1990s, it was a lot more grimy and gritty than it is now. And at some point during the interview, one of the business owners said, oh, man, I really miss the old New York. But his business partner corrected him. He said, you don't miss the old New York. What you miss is the old you who you were during that time. And what I was missing was the old me, that person that showed up with optimism, that person that was willing to go above and beyond and do the work when no one was watching, that person that was willing to take certain amount of risk, that person that was willing to invest in himself, et cetera. I had stopped doing many of the things that I had loved. And the crazy thing was that results were still coming in. You know, money was still coming in, et cetera, but I was not pushing myself. I missed the old me. I, I had to identify those things that I had stopped doing that got me to where I was. Lastly, we've all watched football games 
We've all watched football games where a team is up 35 to nothing at halftime. And then they come out after halftime and all of a sudden it's the fourth quarter and they were winning 35 to nothing. But now they're only up by three points with two minutes to go. In the first half, they came out to win. They were playing to win. In the second half, they played not to lose. As you both know, there's a big difference between playing to win and playing not to lose. I had to reach the point where I was playing not to lose. And I think there's an interesting place for entrepreneurs, especially as they start to make progress. When things start to change, when bank accounts start to look different, relationships start to look different, when they have to make a big decision. Am I going to keep playing to win? Or am I going to start playing not to lose? And my business suffered because I was playing not to lose. I'm not sure if you two have experienced this in the growth of your business. I'm sure someone listening knows exactly what I'm talking about. So basically that moment when that, that, that man told me I had to figure my out, he was an angel to me. I think angels can show up in the places that we least expect them to show up. And that led me on the path of writing this book, Stop Living on Autopilot to help others who may find themselves in a similar place of they're playing not to lose as opposed to playing to win. What a great story. And, and, and yeah, I mean, we can relate on so many levels as entrepreneurs because I know for me, for so many years, I worked really hard to work less. And I was showing up like in the weeds, doing the work every day. The one day I want to work less. It, it, and it, it hit me really hard at some point. Wait a minute. I, I'm not enjoying this. Like, and then I, I flipped the switch and I figured out how to love what I do every day and how to get excited and how to challenge myself and how to grow. And I'm like, I don't, I don't ever want to work less. I don't ever want to retire. I, I enjoy working in this format and, and growing and pushing. And it's not the grind anymore. It's more the challenges and successes. And I, I think that's such an, an awesome and amazing story for our audience. And, and for a lot of our audience, they're, they're in that alley. They're, they're hiding in that alley right now. How do they take that bold step? What, what do they do? How would you encourage somebody to start that process or start making a move in that direction that, that you were able to do? First and foremost, accept that you're there. Accept <laughs> uh, that you are there. If you don't accept that you're there, that, that, that's, that's, a, that's a challenge. So I had to accept that I was there. And hopefully you can accept that you're there before you have any major complications or make any bad decisions. Second, as mentioned earlier, no one who has accomplished anything of significance did it alone. So if you feel like you're in that alley, <laughs> that can be a book right there called The Alley. <laughs> um, uh, I wanna make sure you don't go about this alone. Seek out support from your community, seek out support from other entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, right now you probably can think about someone who would have your back, who can support you. So, you know, share that. Uh, third, uh, this is a good one right here. I like to think about something that I share is, um, I want you to think back to why you actually decided to do what you're doing. I think a lot of us forget on this journey to the work that we're doing today that there was a day that we dreamed that we would be doing this, right? And so I want people to think back to why they decided to do what they're doing right now and to recommit to that and to make that your North Star. And by the way, some people may think back to why they started, why they're doing what they're doing and they realize they no longer want to do it anymore. So you can also make a brand new decision, by the way. I don't remind people, you can make a brand new decision. You're not stuck. But I ask you to think about why you're doing what you're doing and recommit to it. But the biggest thing I think we can do is think back to those things that got us to where we are and ask ourselves, are we still doing them? Or have we stopped doing them? What have you stopped doing 
that has got you to where you are today. When I coach a lot of executives, these are men and women that have titles that end in director, vice president, senior vice president, founder, owner, et cetera. It's always amazing to me that sometimes once they get these big titles, they stop doing all of the innovative dynamic things that got them there. Again, they start playing not to win as opposed, uh, excuse me, they start, start playing not to lose as opposed to playing to win. So that's something to think about. And then just to have some fun, this is a fun question I'll put in the book, is I think it's easy to give ourselves advice if we're, if we're able to step outside of ourselves. So I like to think about it like this. If your life was a movie, if your business was a movie, what would the lead character start doing to turn things around? Like no matter where your business is right now, if it would be framed it as a movie, what would the lead character start doing to turn things around? I guarantee everyone who asks themselves that question can think of one to three things that they can start doing to turn things around. If your marriage isn't going the way that you would like it to go, I guarantee you, if you looked at it from a movie perspective, you could identify something that lead character will start doing, could start doing to turn things around. Uh, so those are a few things that I would definitely recommend. There's a lot more in the book, uh, but those are some fun ones. We're going to have to check out the book, man, no doubt. So I want to land the plane here this episode. I got two questions for you. One of them is really easy. First question is, you still got that green glove, man. You know what? I had to retire it. I'm, I'm happy to say, Josh, that I am no longer a smoker that those days are behind me i'm not gonna bring that life back uh but that green glove has been retired that green glove's retired man i just didn't know if maybe you put it in the frame put it on the wall you know like it's a athletic jersey or something that's uh, the funny. real question though man is we talked about being your own best benefactor and i think it's easy to think about it from the context of when you're starting the adventure you know, when you're leaving your job and going after the business, like, all right, here's some things you can do to be your best on benefactor at that point. But what does Antonio Neves do right now as you're scaling and growing and growing your influence and making a bigger impact on people? Like, what are you doing and what can our audience do to be their own best benefactor, like moving forward? Yeah, uh, well, I have five daily activities that I do that allows me to be my daily, uh, to be my benefactor. These are things I check off every single day. So just to the short answer is I'm more about habits than I am goals. So even if I yeah. identify a certain goal is I'm like, what is the habit that will lead to that? Whether that's physical fitness, diet, personal finances, or et cetera. So I don't think about way over there. I'm like, what can I do today? What type of habits do I want to create? Things that I do that make a really big difference in my life every single day that allow me to be a, a benefactor. One, I have to learn something every single day. And when I say learn something, that could be listening to an, a podcast like yours, reading 10 to 15 pages of a book, you name it. So that's incredible. That's important. Uh, second, I have to connect with someone. So again, no one who's accomplished anything of significance did it alone. So I make sure on a daily basis in some shape or form, I connect with someone and that can't be a text message or an email. That is, I have to hear their voice. So that's a short phone call or a FaceTime. Uh, I have to sweat every single day even if it's just short, uh, because I have to get my crazy out. I'm a former collegiate athlete, and I find that when I'm sweat, I'm just a better person. Uh, I meditate every single day. I know, it's funny, the days that I don't meditate, there's always a moment around like 11, 10 a.m. that I'm like, something's wrong, something's <laughs> off. And I'm like, oh, I didn't meditate. Because it, I find that meditation for me has become like my superpower in many ways. Those, that meditation two times a day for 15 to 20 minutes, 
it may sound a little bit woo woo and like must be nice Antonio to have that time to do that. Sometimes I'm doing that at 4.45 AM. It's, it's made a, a big difference. And the last thing that I try to do every single day in some shape or form is I try to finish something. Mm. It doesn't have to be big, but you know, positive psychology really hits hard on, you know, achievement. And so if I can press publish on a blog post, if I could uh, finish, you know, that, that new chapter that I'm working on or finish those 500 words that I've identified for myself, uh, finish doing something good for another friend or something that really brings about uh, a sense of achievement for me. To be clear, it's not always finishing something big. Sometimes it's small. I mean, sometimes I, I've taken to, um, during the, this, this pandemic, two things, uh, cooking a lot. So I would all these cookbooks. I'm like, I fin- I finish a meal with a brand new recipe. I feel great. Lastly, this has nothing to do with nothing, but I've, I've taken on uh, working on, um, I build miniature houses now, <laughs> which is something I never thought I would have done in a million years, uh, but it's my new hobby. It brings me so much joy. Time just flies away. And just briefly, my wife is like, I, I love, honey, that you have a hobby. You're building these new houses. That's amazing. And she's like, and you have to import the most expensive ones from Japan. Why can't we just buy the ones that are available here at Michael's? Why are you? <laughs> no. It's like a $700,000 miniature house right here. Yeah. <laughs> I can show you some. They're a lot of fun, though. Man, what an awesome story and such a fun podcast. Uh, so much valuable advice and direction for us as hosts and for our audience and our listeners. I, we cannot thank you enough, Antonio, for joining us, for sharing uh, your experiences, your wisdom and everything. Excited to get the book. The book is out. It is for sale. And tell people where they can find you at, man. Where can they connect with you? Where can they learn more? Yeah, everything uh, is the Antonio Neves, theantonioneves.com. Uh, my handles on social media are the Antonio Neves. One day, one day that person in uh, Brazil who owns at tonyoneves.com is going to miss, going to forget. He's going to forget to re-up on that URL and I'm going to get it. I have everything ready to go. It's automated. Until then, everything is theantonioneves.com. Well, man, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been fantastic. Really appreciate you, you coming on and sharing with us. And can't wait to see what's next for you, man, and continue and uh, following you on your journey. I appreciate you both so much. Uh, it's an honor to come on. I can't wait to find my way to Georgia sometime in the near future. And hopefully we can uh, have some coffee together. Sounds awesome, man. Thanks, Antonio. If you're a fan of the Entrepreneur Adventure podcast, we would love to hear about it. You can leave us a review right here on your favorite podcast app. You can subscribe to the podcast or you can find us on Instagram at The Entrepreneur Adventure. Until next time, thank you for joining us.